In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see all of you, and welcome to all who are watching online as well. Um, Father Trent told the congregation last week that we're going to be preaching on Philippians four weeks in a row. This is the second week uh, following the lectionary. And i got to tell you, I cannot think of a more appropriate passage for this moment in history than the passage we have today from Philippians chapter 2. Because I don't know if y'all read the papers or not, but it would be an understatement to say that there is a diversity of opinion about a variety of topics out there right now. I mean, people are angry. I mean, you just pick a topic and we're going to find a way to be angry about it or about the way that you're handling it. Should we reopen the economy yet? Should we have our children or our teachers, for that matter, back in school? Should we attend football games? Should, how should we respond to injustice? Who is fit for the office of president? Who is fit to be the next Supreme Court justice, and who should get to decide? Now, you probably had some visceral reaction to at least one of those seven questions, and there are hundreds more questions out there. And within this congregation, there are people on all sides of all the questions. And there, to be sure, is some mature discussion around the issues uh, out there, but for the most part, I would say there are a lot more people who are not listening. They're just shouting. All right, on social media or in the comments section of the online articles or, you know, just out in the streets, they're just shouting at each other. And, and the church is certainly not immune from this dissension. There's a sense in which the church should not be immune from this dissension. These are important conversations. They affect our whole lives. And we should be able to have them safely within the community of faith. But perhaps you are aware that sometimes we people who all confess Christ crucified, that we get just as fired up and twisted up and pulled apart as people who are outside the church, and sometimes more so. Now, Philippians is a joyful letter. But part of what St. Paul is getting at is that he sees potential division in that congregation, and he's trying to head it off at the pass. Right, some, he knows that some Christians are lining up behind different teachers, some of whom are actually opposed to St. Paul, and he can see the division that is coming. And as the great theologian Barney Fife said, you've got to nip it in the bud. Right? And I think you can actually take what St. Paul is saying to the Philippians, uh, take it off of that church, and apply it right to the church today. And this is what St. Paul says. He says, the mark is unity. The means is humility. And the model is Jesus. The mark is unity. The means is humility, and the model is Jesus. So first, the mark 
is unity. That's what we're aiming for. That's the goal that we as Christians are to be striving for together. Unity. Unity is the clarion call of this passage. And Paul begins this call with a series of if statements. And all of which uh, assume that the answer is, there is. If there is any encouragement in Christ. And there is. If there is any consolation from Christ's love. And there is. If there is any sharing in the Holy Spirit, there is. And if there is any compassion and sympathy among fellow Christians, of course there is. Then, says St. Paul, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Now, I do not think that this is a call to uniformity, but it is certainly a call to unity. And isn't it interesting that that in the face of potential division, that St. Paul is not calling them to deepen their faith. He's not calling them to uh, dig in their heels on doctrinal purity, or even to serve the poor more. He is, and maybe it's because all those things, like we can work on those if we are together. But if you think about it, the call to unity has an awful lot to do with how the church is perceived in the world around us. I mean, we want those, don't we? We want those who are not in the church to come. And to hear the good news of God's love and grace. But when they come and they hear about love and grace, but what they see is arguing and backbiting and division, then they're going to know instinctively not to come back. The call to unity in the church is a call to repel the most common accusation against Christians, hypocrisy. If we profess to be all about love and grace because we follow the Lord of love and grace, then should we not be characterized by love and grace? Perhaps especially in in how we handle secondary issues. So in the face of potential division, St. Paul calls us to prioritize our relationships with one another over the things that would divide us. St. Paul calls us to prioritize our relationships with one another over those things that would divide us. Let me give you an example from the Gibbs household. Now, um, you can apply it to the church, or you can just count it as free marriage advice. So, um, I I don't know if you know this about me, I can be a little bit grouchy, a little feisty sometimes. I know it's a surprise to most of you. but especially at home, uh, sometimes things come out of my mouth with a little more heat than I intend. Sometimes they come out of my mouth with exactly the amount of heat I intend, but I really regret it later. Um, and Amy could say, well, I won't love you until you change. And she would be justified, frankly. And she would never love me. <laughs> or she could say, I wish you wouldn't do that. And in fact, I hope you change. But I'm going to love you either way, and I'm not going to let the quirks in you get in the way of that love. 
Over 22 years of marriage, her love has been unconditional. And she has decided that she's going to prioritize her commitment to me and to our marriage over my kooky behavior. And that love, which says no matter what, we're coming out of this thing together, that actually has over the years given me both the space to really work on it, and I have really worked on it, and the desire to offer her the same commitment should the situation ever arise where she doesn't she does something that's not perfect. We're still waiting on that. But in other words, what I'm saying is that unity, or excuse me, that unconditional love has created unity. Now, prioritizing love and relationships over the change and the quirks, that works in marriage, but it also works in the church, too. The fact that we all love Jesus means a lot more than whether we both love the same candidate or whether we agree on immigration policy. I mean, hopefully we can talk constructively about those things, but if we never reach an agreement on the issues, nevertheless, the mark that we're aiming for in the church is unity. So, then how do we get there? Well, the mark is unity. The means is humility. And St. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. To, so let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. <laughs> well, why didn't you just say so, Paul? Um, do you mean that I should stop being the center of my own universe? Should I? You, you're trying to tell me that I should stop trying to get people to be impressed with me and, and trying to get them to believe that I have it all together. I mean, I know you're not talking about Facebook and Instagram, obviously, but nobody has gotten that joke yet all morning. I should probably stop saying it. I should not look after my own interests. I should look after the interests of others. Well, no thanks. I prefer being self-absorbed. I mean, I, I don't... I don't know about you, but I mean, St. Paul is not just saying something that's easier said than done. He's actually calling us to something that is unnatural. In fact, it's supernatural. Paul is saying that the way to work towards unity is to bend against our human nature. Look not to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. And that must mean that if we all do what comes naturally, that is, if we are self-interested and self-serving and self-absorbed, then that is inevitably going to lead to fracture and isolation. The way to unity, says Paul, which is the way that the body of Christ uh, is to stay together in the face of potential division, the way for the body of Christ to present itself uh, as a compelling witness to a fractured world, is that we would stop our navel-gazing and self-importance and start lifting others up. We'll stop focusing on our rights and other people's wrongs, and we'll start serving and encouraging and blessing others. We'll be others-oriented no matter where they are in their journey. 
right? We're generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We, we are intentional in our kindness. We're, we're, we're not a stumbling block to others, even online. <laughs> and ironically, blessing others leads to a far richer and more satisfied life than does being self-absorbed. Because God created us to be part of something far larger than ourselves. But if you are remotely self-aware, then you know that getting out of our own way takes a lifetime of disciplined effort, and even that effort only comes by the grace of God, and most of us simply don't have the staying power on our own. But luckily, St. Paul doesn't leave us on our own. In fact, he takes us right to the gospel. So the mark is unity, the means is humility, but the model is Jesus. Now it's hard to tell by the way that it's printed in your bulletins, but Paul gives us what most scholars believe is an early hymn. And uh, it's about the ministry of Jesus. And Paul gives it to us saying, this is the mind that you should have in you. In other words, he's saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. The best way to stop looking at ourselves is to look at Jesus. I mean, his life is far more beautiful than ours is. Look at Jesus. Now, the hymn summarizes that Jesus stepped out of the glory and the purity of heaven, and he stepped into the brokenness of self-absorbed humanity. And he says that the Lord of all humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Now, think about this. Jesus Christ was the one person who had the right to exalt and glorify himself, and yet he could not take his eyes off of you. He lived and died and rose again for you. And aren't we glad that Jesus did not wait until he agreed with everything about us before he started loving us? He said, I'm not going to let their sins get in the way of loving them. He said, I'm, not, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, and we can work on that other stuff later, but no matter what, we're getting out of this thing together. Right? Jesus unified himself to us. And Jesus is not the model of humility in the sense that if he can do it, then you can do it too. Jesus is the model of humility in the sense that he humbled himself for us. And he gave up himself to take our sin and our brokenness. And he gave us in return his glory and his righteousness, his intercession and his comfort in our struggles. And so we humble ourselves and we lift others up after the example of Jesus, but also in the power of Jesus and his sacrifice. Jesus uh, gives us the model of how to humble others, but he also is himself the method of our humbling of ourselves. In fact, I would say the Christian character is mostly developed uh, not by working on our own character, but by looking at Christ. Christian character is not mostly developed by working on our own character, but by looking at Christ, because that's how we learn to love like he loves, and it's how we learn to love who he loves. 
And so this fall, you're going to be hit, and in fact, this week, you're going to be hit with a barrage of topics demanding your outrage and demanding your outright dismissal of all who are on the opposite side of the questions and the issues than you are. I want you to remember that your first allegiance, our first allegiance, is not to a party or to a movement, but it is to the Lord Jesus who lived and died and rose for us. And I hope that we will all be humbled and comforted by that divine love and that we will let, us, let it bring us as, a, as Christ's church to a gracious unity that the world can never take away. Amen.